when I ask um, NCG customers what makes us different, they say you care, mm -hmm. right? So we generally, we have passion and we care. And that ultimately is, is what's going to sustain us. He talks a lot about being purpose-driven. And I thought about the purpose of NCG and we, it's to get contractors out of the hourglass, get them out of the hourglass because the hourglass is trapped. It's where they're, they're frustrated. We get them out of the hourglass. We're going to enrich their lives. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. We're back this week with NCG's monthly book club discussion centered this month on Winning on Purpose, The Unbeatable Strategy of Loving Customers by Fred Reichheld. Reichheld, creator of the Net Promoter Score System and known as a customer loyalty guru, believes that great leaders embrace a higher purpose to win and that the NPS system shines as their guiding star. Now through winning on purpose, he demonstrates that the primary purpose of business should be to enrich the lives of customers and that by investing in your customers and their experience with your company brings them back to your business and kickstarts their friend's business, leading to earned growth and increased profits. We've talked to the concept of the NPS score with our clients and on this podcast before, but this book brings the concept to the next level. And as you'll hear from our discussion, inspired some passionate book club conversation. Facilitated by Michael Murray, president of Textbook Painting and member coach with Nolan Consulting Group, this discussion and the book itself has inspired us to think harder about NPS and its place as a critical KPI in our financial workbook going forward. If the NPS system is new to you, do not worry. We start off our conversation defining the system before jumping into the book highlights and our takeaways. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the Hourglass. Hey, everybody. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the book Winning on Purpose, which is Fred Reichelt's newest book. Um, many of us are familiar with Fred Reichelt, who created the Net Promoter System uh, about 20 years ago. So he and the team at Bain Consulting created this system for tracking customer service. Um, and his newest book that just came out a few months ago, uh, again, called Winning on Purpose, he takes an even deeper dive into this idea of how can customer loyalty and customer satisfaction help us drive business growth. Um, he, create, he comes out with a new metric we're going to talk about called earned growth rate. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it would be a really good place though to start is to just explain the net promoter system in its very basic level. Um, would somebody feel comfortable explaining that to us? Brian, can I call on you? You can. Well, you got me early. Usually I... I like to be last to not hog okay. the mic because I, I, <laughs> I, know you I know. love book club, Michael. You know, book club is one of my favorite calls of the month. Uh, um, yeah, the, the NPS, uh, I think, is misunderstood. Um, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to refer us to a friend, a peer, et cetera? And um, if you're a nine and a 10, then you're a promoter. Uh, if you're um, a six or less, you're a negative, you're a detractor. Um, if you're a seven or eight, you're passive. You actually forget who did the work. Um, so the net promoter score is the percent of promoters minus the percent of detractors 
which is why you might get a score at, at you know, 70 or 80, uh, where some people may just take the average. So it's different. It, it really tells you the net, what, what, what is taking away from promoters. Did I get that right, Michael? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the scores can be anywhere from negative 100 to positive 100. Um, yeah, I, I love, um, you know, I think somebody put out the idea in this group that it's, you know, the percentage of smiles minus the percentage of yes. sad faces. Um, I think that's just a really easy way to think about that. Um, so in the book, Fred Reichel talks about that there's been some maybe misuse of the NPS system in the way that we're um, getting scores, but is also what we're doing with those scores. And so I'd love to start the conversation there. Um, if anybody has any thoughts on that part of the book. Andrew, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a huge opportunity. It's not enough people are, are using it, which, which isn't to say no one's using it, but there's a huge opportunity to use this in Nolan Consulting Group selfishly as a, as a benchmark for the Summit Group program, but also within companies and within industries that it, it's a pretty standard metric. I mean, I, I got a, a survey uh, from a group I belonged to the other day and it didn't have net promoter score on it. And I was almost frustrated because I couldn't tell them what I wanted to tell them. Um, so I, I, think there's, I think there's tons of opportunity here. How is it misused, Andrew? Is asking. Well, I, certainly, I mean, I mean, the the part of the book that spoke to me is uh, is um, using it for motivation as opposed to rewards. And later, I think it was later in the book, one twenty five or something, page one twenty five, that talked about the abuses and using it as a as a manipulation, using it to manipulate customers to get outcomes, using it to manipulate behaviors um, that it. It needs to be an honest conversation, not a manipulative conversation. And that line gets should be pretty broad, but it, it gets pretty thin sometimes. Molly, you had something you wanted to add? Or did we cover it? Mine was similar to to what Andrew said. It's I think when we think about previously prior to this book, NPS score was for me more of a marketing metric as opposed to a growth metric. And so when we put out you know, a report cards or we ask for Google reviews, there's often times where you're not actively pursuing a, re a review from a, a job gone wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and so in a similar fashion, I think that there are times where companies have used the MPS score in, in error by not sending this, you know, the request for that metric to that customer for a job gone wrong because they don't want that job to be part of their results. But at the end of the day, those are the results that we need to know because that metric is really, it's become more of a GPS as to what is actually happening. And we can kind of predict issues kind of before they come as opposed to, you know, being completely reactive. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, this is not a, a metric that you audit who it goes out to. This is a metric that, and a, and a question that goes out to everybody. I beg to differ. <laughs> Feel free. This is why we have book club, Kev. But I mean, uh, no, no. So only, only in a in a very um, basically, you know, not something that you would normally consider um, policy. But we do have customers that are so difficult, so disagreeable, and. We know their opinion because we have faced the music on it and we don't send them 
we don't provoke them. We're happy to get paid and move on. Um, but it's rare. It's, it's, still, it's still the exception to the rule if it happens 10 or 15 or 20 times a year out of 3,000 clients, that would be a surprise. I think the way Nolan Painting plays this line really well is that you reward on the collection percentage, not right. a score. And so yeah. in, in that way, the, the, the crew leader can ask for an A, not out of manipulation, but out of caring. And these, these things are not management tools. They're, they're meant to be behaviors and create more conversations, not manage someone automatically. I mean, one has to ask when you see negative reviews, like um, Facebook has a negative 17. So why go there? Like you're, you're, you're not interested in being there, so you shouldn't go there. But yeah. that's the difference between a, re a review and the NPS. The review mm -hmm. is a marketing um, component versus yes. the NPS is more so a growth metric. And internally. Internally. Internal. Yeah. So I think it's important that we're not necessarily auditing that NPS score. Maybe right. we are auditing who we want to be, you know, posting public reviews. Of course, anybody can do that on their own. It's just a matter of us, whether or not we're asking for it. Yes. Uh, but I think that's, we, that's we cannot try to put, we know a customer is very unhappy for whatever reason. Maybe they were born that way. We try not to provoke them at all. Um, but having said that, you know, we do have a lot of, re a lot of reviews and, or we've been doing the, uh, the NPS score, which is, you know, debating with Google reviews, because that's a five-star system, and this is a, a 10-point system, um, you know, which is more important to us. And Michael, you had mentioned a call last week or so, you know, we just got 500 reviews, and you're like, who cares if you have 540? I mean, at some point, you know, is enough enough from a marketing perspective, you have to stay fresh and current. But... Um, when you look at the national reviews of companies on the list, on some various lists, I'm just really surprised at how low all of them are, right? I mean, even Apple, one of the most adored companies in, in the world is a 47. Um, so I just, so for these all to be published, I'm not sure how fair it really all is. Well, those companies likely have a harder time turning people away from taking yeah. the NPS. So really it's a true NPS, I would say, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I, th I think it's acceptable that that certain people aren't going to be your customer, um, and it's okay to not have a great NPS score that's 100, right? But what, what, so, what is a realistic score in your industry might be a fair question to ask as a management team. Um, but this is a hard mic to get, so while I have it, I'm going to keep it here for just a second. Um, <laughs> this is I. This is really like so many things. This all comes back to intent for me, and NPS is a tool. And the tool can be used for good, the tool can be used for bad. And what determines that? Determines that is intent. What is the intent of using it? Why are you looking to use this tool? And Michael, one of the questions you posed to the group uh, prior to, to, to this meeting was, uh, what's the purpose of a business? Is it to return value to shareholders or is it to delight and bring value to customers? And I think if, if the true motive of a company is to bring value to customers, is to create more value as much as possible to customers, then you that a byproduct of that will be using the NPS in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So I, I would I would kind of bring it back to that. What's your overall intent? That will give you a kind of a good direction on how you're using the NPS for good or for worse. You know, I always use the the uh, bus stop uh, talk where when a parent goes to a bus stop, what are the other parents talking about your business and 
we want to dominate the neighborhood that we're in if we're a contractor and we won't dominate it if we get six and no. So that's the information. That's the purpose of this. What is the neighborhood saying about, about Nolan painting, right? Yeah, because if, if you do get below a 10, you want to know about it and you want to know why. What, why didn't we delight you? Did we, did we fail in our, in, in our attempt because we didn't try hard enough, because we missed something, didn't live up to your expectations? Catherine? And I think that that's, I mean, that's, Michael, your, your question about how can we um, encourage the use of this within our client base? Because right now, what is our standard? What is the number that um, we would want our clients to be looking at? So making sure that we're not fostering a situation where a poor score leads to punishment or de-incentivizing people, but we're actually saying in the industries that we coach, this would be a target number for you to get um, because you want to delight and you want to create that environment for your clients. I can't help but send out a, a shameful plug. The, the job costing systems that we use already have the fields in place to track it. All you got to do is get it. Shameful plug. Yeah, I think one of the things that we found interesting is, you know, how are we asking for this question? I think that is an important part that is something that we all need to consider. The way that we've always done it is our crew leaders asked, you know, they give a report card um, written and the customer can fill it out digitally if they prefer. But generally, we've, we're always trying to get the crew leader to get it, right? Similar to what Kevin said, we want the, the feedback. The problem, though, the more that we thought about it, and we even started to ask some of our customers, is that when the crew leader standing right in front of them, the tendency is to inflate that score a little bit. And when we really think about the definition of a promoter is somebody who's actively going to go out of their way to tell other people good things about our business. Do we really think that hundred percent of our customers are actively going out of their way to sing our praises or probably many of them might be an, an eight, right? They were, they were happy. Um, they'd probably come back, but was it a remarkable experience that they're shouting it from the rooftops? That's a really hard bar to get over all the time. Um, and so I think like the more we really start to think about what is the tool used for, I think, you know, I think that goes back to Kevin, some of the points that you were making um, and just trying to get that actual real feedback from customers as to how do we do better. Um, Deidre, go ahead. So that actually brings up that point of anonymity versus, <clears throat> versus actually knowing who's giving that feedback, because I find that um, I am hesitant to give a review because I believe that a number of companies will use it punitively. And I don't necessarily hold my displeasure about some aspect of the job against maybe a delivery driver or someone else. And so um, knowing that a company is using it right means I am happy to apply feedback. And one of the ways to use it right is to improve for the customer experience knowing that it's all about leveling up and, you know, speaking to Kevin's point, yes, I'm holding the mic, speaking to Kevin's point, um, you know, they said it in the book, you can't be accountable to everyone. If you're accountable to everyone, you're accountable to no one. So you have to choose the customers that you're accountable to, that you need to know who your customer is. 
And that's the feedback that you really want to get and want to hold on to and want to apply. I think Costco's got it right, by the way. Costco wants to hold on to the members site, right? The members pay an annual fee and that dials in their profit for the year. I love Costco. I'm a Costco loyalty. I'm, I'm a promoter, right? I mean, I'm, I'm over the top with Costco. You can ask my kids. They're like, enough with the Costco. Yeah, I, I, buy, I buy my jeans there. It's funny. They talked about the, the $14 pair of jeans. I have a couple of those. By the uh, way, they have the highest score of any company I've seen yeah. at 79. Because I go there and I can't believe that the prices. I'd load up my cart. I have all Costco stuff. So they dialed in on the membership and then they truly during the year look to serve the members the best that they can, even at the expense of being able to um, raise uh, prices. Since I've got the mic, I also want to go back to a point of how do we get this score? I've been on a, uh, a pledge to try and, and increase the number of summit members who are getting an MPS score because not a lot get it. How many do you think do? Yeah. I mean, you know, Kev, it's, it seems like it's, it's less than a quarter. You know why? Because they're all focused on Google reviews. Yeah. Google reviews is sort of taking it, but Google reviews has also made customer service front and center because you are out there, your results. So how do we get this then, Michael? Let me, let me, let me flip this back to you. How do we get it if it's hard to do it on site because uh, a customer may feel intimidated? of sorts and, and Google's dominating. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that Fred Reichel talks about is, you know, really more, maybe more applicable to larger companies. He talks about using this as like a measurement for, uh, you know, investment, right? And getting audited stats. But I love the idea of having some third party be able to, you know, collect this data. Um, you know, again, I think they're gonna come into company size and cost, but I do think that at some point, you know, if, if, the, if the idea is to grow a business that is sellable, having NPS data is going to be incredibly valuable, Great. but having real NPS data, right? Having a third-party company come in and get this data for you, um, I, I, personally, I feel like that's ultimately the best way to do it. I realize that that's maybe not practical for every company at every size. Andrew? Yeah, I would, I would say the the valuation world would, would vet that out, that the best way to achieve long-term shareholder value is to love your customers. And so if you have this information, you, you can maximize shareholder value by having this data and loving your customers. And I love Deidre's idea of having a, you know, an anonymous survey, right? Where you know, maybe we separate it. Maybe it doesn't happen immediately at the end of the transaction or at the end of the project. You know, let's you know, we're painting your house, let's walk around, everything look good, great, fill out this form. Maybe we need to give the client an opportunity to, you know, digest that for a day or two, and then give us maybe that real honest feedback um, in an anonymous way, perhaps. Kevin? So uh, obviously, we've been doing this a long time. I, I said to you 10 years, actually, it's been seven years that we've been doing the Net Promoter Score. And we, uh, since COVID, we've, uh, we have no more paper report cards. So we've sort of done away from that uh, standing over the person scenario that you indicated. Um, but the, uh, along with the invoice is a report card. Uh, we still call it the report card. Um, and it has a few details there, um, but mostly it's a net promoter score. That's what we're asking. And then of course, we're asking that second question that he struggled with, which is what can we do better? And that's really where, you know, you're supposed to look for the opportunities to use this for as, a, as a, an improvement device. 
Um, but we, we, a couple of points made. So do you made the point about anonymous? So ours is not anonymous, obviously. Um, but <clears throat> we do do an anonymous survey with our employees every three months. Uh, we do a net promoter score. And um, our net, I joke, um, our net promoter score is a 74 with our employees, which by the way, in this group, we understand that that's a pretty good score. Um, but it's not as high as my company net promoter score. Last year, our, our, the one that was public, the one that we're, where customers fill it out with their names attached. Um, but uh, we had a 63% response rate last year um, on 2,000 jobs. So um, roughly you know, 1,500 or so um, report cards. And we had a net promoter score of 94. Um, so I joke at company meetings that our customers love us more than our employees do. Um, but the reality of it is, is the anonymous does allow for people to uh, do what I call passive aggressive, not so much, I don't see it maybe because they're punitive as much as, uh, but that's just the way I'm looking at it. But I see it as passive aggressive when you're, when you're, you're not really worried about the consequences on you of your review you might respond differently. Like, so you, and you just don't want to feel bad about the person who might've been the service when maybe you feel bad about the company or something along those lines. So there's value in both. But then we have uh, Broadly, which is the platform that manages our online um, reviews, uh, send them a, um, a, sur a survey question again on a scale of one to 10. And our, our Broadly uh, NPS is 92. Um, which obviously is great, not as high as our current MPS of our company, which is for 2022 is 99, which, you know, it, it always strikes me as how weird, but we have over a 60% response rate. Um, but I'm looking here, Steve just gave me, we have 13,321 NPS scores. Um, and we've been doing it since 2012. So, and, um, we are a 95 uh, overall. We have 68 responses that were less than six. Um, and then as Andrew pointed out, we pay based not on the score, we pay on the response rate. We pay a bonus for teams, a substantial bonus, many thousands of dollars every month goes to the team for a response rate, not for a score. And the response rate must be over 60% in order to collect pay for performance on any given month. I, think. And, uh, I believe that that's the best intentions. And then ultimately, broadly, as you know, we'll bounce back to them if they've given us a nine or a 10 and say, hey, would you like to do a Google review? And then really that's the, the metric that we're using for the outside world. But I think Kevin, I mean, your, your growth at Nolan Painting over the last five to 10 years is a testament to the satisfaction you know, the intentional effort that you guys put into your reputation, into the community. Um, the one thing though is, you know, I think somebody listening to this podcast might ask, what are we doing with that other, you know, 37%? You mentioned like 63% have filled out the survey. You know, if we're looking at like that other 37%, we would have to question, are they not filling it out? Maybe because they don't want to get their crew leader in trouble to Deidre's point before, that, you know, the, I think part of 
the challenge with this as a metric that we're going to use to evaluate each other, or, you know, from like an investment perspective is that 37% is significant. Even if we just assume that 37% is passive, it dramatically changes the score. Um, you know, some of the things that you just put out. And so I think like, again, this is very complicated um, and how we use it as companies though, if we're going to use it as a stat to like compare ourselves or benchmark ourselves with others within our industry, those types of things have to be uniform. Otherwise, you know, it's nothing more than an internal survey, which is great unto itself. Um, but the point I think Fred's making in this book is that we're now using it as an external metric to share with prospective investors or prospective customers. Um, and that's where we can maybe start to get into trouble. Go ahead, Brian. I, I was, uh, I was fascinated by, by this metric that you talked about uh, at the start, the EGR, the earned growth rate. Fascinated by it, particularly because CertiPro was mentioned in there in that discussion where CertiPro claimed 70% of their quality leads come from referrals. Uh, I read a book once called How to Lie with Statistics, and the same thing that says four out of five dentists surveyed. Well, they only uh, asked five dentists, right? So what how did sort of pro define quality leads, 70% of quality leads, but it, it did bring to me that the thought of the marketing uh, as opposed to business you buy, right? What, what percent of business you get do you buy? And I thought of Nolan Consulting Group and how fortunate we are that most of our work comes from EGR. Mm -hmm. uh, love to hear some other people's perspective, maybe our our uh, financial guru up there, Andrew, to give your thoughts on a metric there of the, the earned growth rate. Andrew, could you just briefly define it? Just get started. Yeah. So uh, earned growth rate, as I, as I read it in the book, um, was the amount of basically the amount of work coming from unpaid sources, unpaid marketing sources. Now, Part of that is you're, you have to take into account the people that reduced their spend. So in a retail environment or an online store or something like that, you know, that's going to play a bigger role. Um, I don't think in, in our world, you know, unless you've got big commercial accounts that are doing, you're doing work like some of our, we've got um, some of the members we work with, they've got accounts that they do work with and they just do a little bit, you know, every month. So maybe that might warrant it, but, you know, people don't replace their roof all that often and they, they don't paint their house, you know, every five years. So it's, so the repeat part isn't. So you're taking overall growth and comparing it to what was earned, meaning unpaid. Um, and I, I think most CRMs really, if you're, if you're using your, your CRM, your customer database appropriately and tracking sources, um, can do this quite well. The, the challenge is to really get clear on your marketing sources. And another shameless plug, the sales meeting report in Google now has all this data and it's pretty interesting, pretty interesting. Just to put some more detail on Andrew's definition. Um, so it's taking what, what they call the NRR, the net revenue retention, which is a percent of revenue from past customers plus earned new customers those who buy after hearing about our customers, customers' experience versus marketing or discounting. So um, 
How'd you hear about us? Heard about it from my neighbor. That's earned. How'd you hear about us? I saw an ad. That's bought. I think it's also worth saying, um, dig a little bit when you ask for sources. Don't don't just accept, well, I'm a past customer. I mean, that could be okay, but where specifically did they see you? And maybe that maybe some some cues on when to dig and get a real answer. I also I can't help but point out. Um, it's easier to answer the question when you have, when you have the, the answer right in front of you, Brian. <laughs> I, I, I actually researched when you re- it on when Google. You read from the book. I, I was so fascinated by it that I Googled it and I, and I studied it, Andrew, not, not like you, you, you just read the book summary and then came prepared. Cliff's notes, Cliff's notes. I'm, you know, I'm going from memory on Cliff's notes. <laughs> Blinkist. <laughs> well, one quick question before I have to jump off. Does, does anybody, and it's really to your question, Michael, and question of how hard to go after the, the 37%, do you respond to all reviews that you get for all services, or, or I'm sorry, all requests for, for reviews or all requests for a, a net promoter score for every service that you provide? And is there a fatigue that's happening with, with people when they get too many of these? And then, of course, we all know, I'd be happy to answer a quick question that took 20 seconds, but as soon as they, I give that first NPS score, then they want to know a whole lot more. And next thing you know, I've got this three-minute thing. That, and I'm not that does to frustrate do. me too, Kev. That and I abandon me. it. I just literally jump off. Yeah. So that, That's a real takeaway is keep yeah. it short. Don't don't go on to page two, three, and four. My bank does that. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm in a 15-minute survey. Well, and and if you go back to Fred's earlier book, The Ultimate Question 2.0, that's what he's that was the original idea, right? This whole system came about because he said, you know, we need a survey that's short and one that we can actually use to, you know, like tr- compare companies and compare answers here. The way that we're asking these long, you know, we've basically taken the net promoter and just put it at the beginning of a 10 question survey. It's like, that was never the intent to your point, Kevin. And I, I think though, to your specific question, do I always fill it out? No, but I, I feel like I almost always fill it out when I'm elated, I got great service. I want to make sure I tell somebody or when I'm really upset. It's that when I'm a passive is where I'm just like, yeah, I don't really, it was all right. I'm not going to take the two minutes or maybe 10 minutes to fill that out. I wonder what would happen to my score if I took the 37% and just gave them a passive score. Because yeah. they're technically what you're saying, they're passive. Yeah. yeah. Which, and to be fair, though, I don't know that that's necessarily, it doesn't to take away from the service that you're providing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I it's think it's perspective. Yeah. Yep. Can I uh, talk about something here that I, thought was really applicable to what we teach, which plus one, it talked all about uh, Serta Pro who changes light bulbs and polishes brass doors. I feel like they got that from us. Uh, it talks about uh, California closets. You know, is there anything else we can do in the story about fixing the uh, counter? Um, so when is it appropriate to get an AWO an additional work order versus a plus one. I thought about that from an NCG standpoint too, guys. Offline, I'd like to talk about that, by the way. Um, but I think about it from a customer standpoint. Anytime, anytime that a contractor can do anything, I think they should be intentional about how can we delight this customer? And plus one should be intentional and talked about in the huddles and uh, meetings so that 
those little things that makes a customer feel great. Because, I mean, let's face it, it's how customers feel. It's how they feel they were treated. And so these don't cost much. And I'd, I'd like to see plus ones talked about more. Go ahead, Catherine. Molly. I was going to say that, I mean, Brian, what you were, were just mentioning, like how can you almost build into your budget plus one time knowing, seeing the ERG and that, and that metric, which really a justification of spending more on your existing customers um, right because on. their full customer experience matters. So if you can kind of proactively justify that and build it into the budget, then there is no wasted time. Right on. And then those plus ones are just part, are just part of what we do. Catherine? And then I think you're, you're then not caught in that adversarial relationship between you and a client and a customer where maybe it is. So our production rates dictate that a job get completed by two o'clock. There is no room. There's no room. And so now you're in an adversarial relationship with your customer, which is not what you want. You don't want to be fighting your customer for time. You don't want to be fighting your customer for a good review. You want to be creating the platform for them to be delighted. Yeah, which is why you want to build it in intentionally into your scripting. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think this goes back to what Colin was saying before, where Using NPS is a tool and it's something that should be well thought out. <clears throat> it's not just throwing out this question to people after every job. It's the foundation of the process that goes into using the NPS correctly. And, and all of these things, asking for plus one, building it in your budget, having a culture of loving your customer, that all goes into using NPS the correct way and what the author was, was trying to promote. Well, I think too, I mean, to expand upon that, I think it comes back to like understanding what is the lifetime value of a customer. And I think in the contracting space, we screw this up a lot. And, and I can understand why, because it's not that often that somebody gets their house painted or gets their roof redone or you know puts on an addition or renovates their kitchen, right? These are generally pretty rare. Maybe once a decade, you're going to do something like that. And so as a contractor, it can be seen as a one-time transaction that, you know, today you're my client and tomorrow I'm on to a different one. Um, and that's where that mindset, I think, is where we can get into some real trouble. Um, and I think the companies that stand out, the companies that grow and most importantly, like grow the right way with the right type of profits are the ones that are seeing customers as, you know, I want, I want to have a lifetime relationship with you whether it's at this house or your next house or for your friends or your family, I want to do right by you more than I just want to make sure I make as much money off you in this transaction as possible. Yeah, Brian. And, yeah, yeah, Michael. So on that account, you know, when I ask um, NCG customers, what makes us different? They say you care, mm -hmm. right? So we generally, we have passion and we care. And that ultimately is, is what's going to, is what's going to sustain us. Um, and then I, just want to turn that into, he talks a lot about being purpose-driven. And I thought about the purpose of NCG and we, it's to get contractors out of the hourglass, get them out of the hourglass because the hourglass is trapped. It's where they're, they're frustrated. We get them out of the hourglass. We're going to enrich their lives. Yeah, absolutely. No, I a hundred percent agree. Um, Deidre, did you have something you wanted to add onto that? Well, I think um, Brian, Brian made that point, but I think 
the most important thing is that culture needs to cascade down to the field. And more importantly, if you build in the plus one in the budget, then the people in the field have the authority to delight the customer with an additional work order or with a plus one without necessarily having to look for or jump through hoops to get that approval, which then allows them to have an easier, more delightful time working for the company. That's the biggest challenge, Dee, as you grow, right? As you grow Mm -hmm. is how do you make sure it keeps on cascading down? I think, yeah. And I think that comes back to like your core values, right? And every decision, everything that we do, we're either, you know, going towards our core values or away from, um, there is no such thing as staying still. And so we have to be really intentional in how we're doing that. And Deidre, I love the point you're making that I believe that somebody who does well in, you know, the service industry, which is what contractors are in, those employees love to delight their customers. And so as business owners, we have to give them, you know, that reinforcement that we want them to make decisions towards that end. And I think ultimately then we end up with more satisfied employees, more satisfied clients, et cetera. Molly, you had something you wanted to add? Yeah, it's all a part of it, but because it all represents that phrase doing well by doing good Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, doing good for the community, for our employees, for our customers, ultimately folds up into being a more profitable, successful company, but the basis is to do good. And by doing good, we do well. I mean, if you think hard about the, as consumers, the the businesses that we give our money to, or the experiences that we, that we enjoy and talk about, I mean, there's several companies. I, I mentioned this to Michael, but I think about Trader Joe's, they have a high score and I actively talk about them all the time because their customer, People are happy when they walk into that store. Their employees are happy. They're creative in their products. We talk about that. We talk about that amongst our friends. There's Facebook groups about Trader Joe's and the new products. I mean, they are creating an environment of positivity. And then internally, that then is being spread by customers. I'd put Costco against Trader Joe's anytime. Head to head, <laughs> TJ's all the way. TJ's all the way. But really think hard about the the places that you visit as a consumer and are they aligned with the things that you know make that are that are purpose driven for you? It's not attainable 100 percent all the time, but we can be more intentional as consumers about where we are spending our dollars. Absolutely. Yeah, he makes that point in that book too, right? About changing banks. And you know, it, it's sometimes that businesses make it hard to do, but as consumers, we need to kind of speak with our dollars and and help kind of create that change. You know, I think Molly, the one thing that that brings up to my mind is that as contractors, sometimes we feel like maybe the bar is low, right? Many of our competitors just provide such a poor experience that as long as we deliver a pretty good experience, like we're, we're rock stars. But I think, you know, I think the one challenge I took away from this book is clients only have so much room to talk about remarkable companies in their lives. Um, and so if we're going to like be one of those remarkable companies, we need to realize that we're, you know, competing for that consumer's mind share, if you will, with companies like Costco and Trader Joe's. And so we need to like, really think about how do we give that remarkable experience similar to those world leaders? Um, because in our, cons- in our local communities, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to sing our praises similar to how you were just talking about Trader Joe's or how Brian's talking about Costco. You know, we want, you know, that to be happening in 
you know, somebody's kitchen or living room when they're having their neighbors over or whatever. But Trader Joe's doesn't have the same samples that Costco has. I go in there for lunch and I, I mean, for free, I just go to different booths when they're giving out samples of cheeses and meats and pizzas. Plus really? $15 jeans. You clearly haven't been to Trader Joe's in a while because they do do samples as well, Brian. It is one station that's crowded. <laughs> we digress. We digress. <laughs> but say, we're both passionate no. about the, the places where we spend our money. And that's an example of, you know, companies that are representing their brand well, because we are passionate for them and we are not part of their marketing teams. Well, I think it becomes as consumers, like we want to associate with that brand, right? We want to have that be part of our identity. Like I'm a Costco person or I'm a Trader Joe's person, or I'm a Patagonia person, or whatever, right? We can think of these brands that we will go out of our way to seek out, we will spend more money with, and we will sing their praises. Um, and, you know, and I think that's what he's really getting to the heart at here in this book. Well, as we wrap up, anybody have any last thoughts? Did we miss anybody here? So I think we're in a good spot. Um, yeah, I, I really love this book. I think it was a great you know, next step in our customer service, customer loyalty journey, and how do we as business owners, um, you know, really track this and use this as a way to provide sustainable growth. Um, I would really challenge anybody listening to this to dive into this book, dive into this topic um, as a way to really take your game to the next level um, and uh, really find sustainable ways to grow. So. Appreciate everybody's time today. Great job, Michael. Thank, Thank you, you, Michael. Great job. That was fun. I love book club. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.